Okay, open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Last week, the title of the sermon was, Who Escapes Judgment? And the title of the sermon today is, Who Escapes Judgment? Part 2. That's how creative I am. I just put the number 2 next to it. Because it's the same theme. Who is it that will escape judgment? Who will go to heaven? I read a, I read a headline earlier this week that says this. $1.5 billion Mega Millions jackpot still unclaimed. Here's what happens if no one comes forward by the deadline. In late October, Mega Millions announced that someone had won its $1.5 billion jackpot. But three weeks have passed and no one has come forward to claim the record-setting prize, reports ABC News. Everyone's talking about it, said G. Patel, the manager of the KC Mart in, in Simpsonville, South Carolina, where the winning ticket was purchased. It's a mystery. The winner, who beat the odds of 1 in 302 million, gets 180 days or until April 21st to collect or the ticket will expire. Whatever the winner's reason for not coming forward, they still have time. About five months. Some winners have cut it close. Last year, Jimmy Smith of East Orange, New Jersey, found a lottery ticket worth $24 million in an old shirt hanging in his closet just before the deadline. Others have had less luck. In 2015, a California Powerball winner lost his ticket and $1 million prize, even though surveillance footage showed him making the purchase because the rules require that you produce the ticket. Billions of dollars in lottery prizes each year go unclaimed, CNN reports, but the big winners almost always collect their money. What would it feel like to buy a $1.5 billion Mega Millions jackpot ticket and then not claim your prize? Not claim your prize. Well, here's good news for you today. God is offering you a payout that is greater than the greatest lottery. He is offering to pay off all of your sin, all of it. And he's offering to provide you with heaven, paradise forever. That is greater than you winning every lottery that has ever happened. And yet, sadly, so many people, even people in this room, are leaving that gift of God unclaimed, unclaimed. So I want you to ask yourself today, will you escape judgment? Have you received the free gift of eternal life that God is offering to you? Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Thank you, Father, that you extend to us a gift, a gift that surpasses all the wealth in the whole world. Thank you that you offer us eternal life through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we know that heaven is filled with things that are beautiful and things that are precious, streets of gold, but that's not what matters. That couldn't keep us happy here, and that won't keep us happy there. You keep us happy. Lord Jesus, you fill our hearts with joy. Knowing you is the supreme joy of this life and the next life. So show us today in your word how we can escape judgment through your loving gift. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, in Romans chapter 2, verse 12, we're just continuing on with, the, with, this, uh, with this paragraph, with this chapter. The Apostle Paul is going from group to group, person to person, and uh, calling people to the stand, to stand trial. And he's trying to show who escapes judgment, who is guilty, who is innocent on the great day that is coming. And so what we have here is a book written by an apostle to a church in Rome, but God, through the Spirit, inspired this so that it speaks to us today as well. So look at chapter 2, verse 12. It says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. 
For all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Two groups. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. But when Gentiles, that's non-Jews, who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Two groups, those who have the law, those who were raised without the law. Let's talk first to those who were raised without the law. Number one, jot this down. Were you raised outside the church not knowing God? Paul specifically is mentioning those raised outside the Jewish faith who didn't know about Moses or Abraham. He's talking to those. So today that would be the equivalent of maybe you didn't really have a church background. How many of you would say um, you, you were really raised without a church background? Maybe you went to church now and then, but you were pretty much unchurched. Put, put your hand up. My hand is up because we had an affiliation, but we went a few times. We, you know, we, we weren't really weekly attenders. Um, I, I, you know, got into religious ed for a few years in middle school, but overall, by the time I was like a, you know, junior, senior in high school, I didn't know the Bible. I couldn't tell you the difference between the Old and the New Testament. I was aware of God. I knew the basics, but I really couldn't tell you everything that the Bible said about salvation. Um, if that's you, if that's me, then you were kind of raised outside the church, not knowing God, or loosely connected to the church, not really understanding the faith. The Bible would describe that as people who sinned without the law. Um, sinned without the law. This also includes people of other faiths. And um, when you're raised outside the church or in another faith, the Bible still holds us responsible for our actions. It's not enough to say, well, I didn't know. Nobody ever told me. I didn't get raised in the church. Therefore, I shouldn't be held responsible. No, the Bible actually says the opposite. It says even if you're raised outside the law, outside the church, uh, you'll still be held responsible for your sin. Uh, last week, I'm thrilled to report that our students at, at uh, Shepherd High School had an outreach event. We love getting our teenagers to do evangelistic events in their school. Sometimes we've done it during lunch. Sometimes we've done it after well, we had a Saturday afternoon dodgeball tournament at Shepherd High School. Check out some pictures, and the students invited me to speak there. It's got to be student-initiated. So all these students came to the dodgeball tournament. They, they totally geeked out and got all dressed up for it. You can go ahead and cycle through those. Some of them put paint on their faces. A lot of the students had basketball practice before the event. They were all worn out, and they still stayed. And it was an epic finish. It was the, basically the senior jocks against the junior jocks, and the juniors won. Which was even, oh yeah, oh, you can imagine. Uh, so we gave out a lot of prizes and stuff, but you know, when we gave him pizza and sat him down, I got up there and I shared the gospel right in their gym. And I asked him at the beginning, how many of you are Christian? And then how many of you were raised in another religion? And a lot of hands went up. There were some Muslims in the room. And I said, how many of you really have no faith? And a bunch of hands went up there too. So we share the gospel with people regardless of their background. Uh, and the gospel is a universal message for every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's not our thing. It's for the world. Because of this, we understand that God has a law. When, it, when the Bible talks about the law, just realize that that means there is a law. It says, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. God has a law. He has a moral law. His moral law transcends every other moral code you've ever been exposed to. If you wrote down what you believe, what's right and wrong, what's best, you, you know, those all came from some truth panel in your heart. Maybe my grandma always used to say, you know, or my mother, uh, you know, whatever. 
Maybe, maybe, well, in this country, here, you know, whatever, your truth has been assembled from many different sources. But it's an imperfect reflection of a perfect law. That perfect law is God's moral law. Humans are moral beings, which is why tonight, when the Bears play the Vikings, we will watch every replay in the slowest of motion to see if that ball touched that grass. And oh, if the ref got it wrong, the stadium will shout, right? Why? Because we are moral beings. You're a moral being because God is moral, but God is perfect in his morality. So therefore, God's law perfectly conforms to God's nature, and God's nature is where we get right and wrong from. Okay, and, and sometimes human moral codes align with God's moral law. Sometimes they conflict with God's moral law. But understand the role of God's law. God's moral law, maybe we should, dis- dis- maybe we should discuss what it isn't. Okay? God's moral law isn't relative. It's universal. It's fashionable today to say, well, that's true for you. Well, that's, that's what you believe. That's just your opinion. But what I'm talking about here is not relative. The nature of truth is that it's universal, meaning it's not just my opinion, it's just God's opinion. Truth is just God's opinion. And if your opinion does not line up with God's opinion, your opinion must change. So it's not relative, it's universal. It's not political, it's impartial. It's not political. God doesn't have a political party. God God doesn't read the Democratic or the Republican platform and say, oh, there's some interesting stuff in there. I should really write that into my book and next time I release a new edition. Uh, Like, he's not learning from us, okay? And if you confuse... uh, Let me speak to people who were raised outside the church, okay? If you confuse what a political group or even a church denomination says for what God's law actually is, that could hang you up to your own peril. All right, please, let me, just, let me just beg with you that if you have a problem with certain politicians and a problem with certain denominations, don't let that get in the way of you learning who God is. All right, don't let that get in the way of you knowing Jesus and his law. God has a law, and it's perfect, and it's imperfectly expressed through his church and his world. It's not political. It's impartial. That's one of the things that makes evangelism in in the world so hard is people from other countries, countries that have 1% Christians, look at the United States and they think everybody's a Christian, right? They're watching MTV and they're like, that's what Christianity is. And I'm like, oh dear, help me. No, no, it's not. No. So it's not political. It's impartial. It's also not popular. It's eternal. It's not popular. It's eternal. Today in the United States, a lot of our morality comes from this. How many of you are in favor of this new law? All right, it's now the law of the land. Congratulations. We've just changed, you know, thousands of years of commonly held moral decency and standards. God's law doesn't work that way. It's not based on popular vote. It's not, well, all these people think this is right, therefore it's right. It's not popular. It's eternal. It's eternal. So it's not relative, it's not political, it's not popular, it's universal, impartial, and eternal. God's law never changes, but the expression of his law and compliance to his law changes culturally. Sometimes people get hung up on this. Well, you're not going to follow all of those rules about eating and fashion in the Old Testament, are you? No. Well, then why are you following the rest of the Bible? Because we have very good reason in the New Testament that a lot of those parts of the Bible are no longer expressed that way. And I can show you where that is. Some people say that like it's a kill shot. You know, oh, you eat pork. Yeah, I do. Oh, well, if you don't follow that verse, 
you know, then you, you can't tell me to follow the rest of it. Really, that's just ignorance. I can show you in the Bible how culturally we are expected to apply God's standards in this age and under the new covenant. So maybe you were raised outside the law. God's holy standards are perfect and true. Jot this down. The Bible says creation reveals that God is real. So you learn that create, through creation that God is real. And I'm drawing this from earlier in, the, in chapter 1. Uh, creation, it says in chapter 1, verse 20, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So this is a review point. Well, whoop, I need those. I dropped my notes. Pause. Continue. All right. That was unplanned. Creation reveals truth about God that you can comprehend. When you went to the Rockies and you were like, wow, there must be a God. When you saw the Grand Canyon, you were like, this is me. There must be a God. Creation shouts, there must be a God. So creation revealed to you that God is real. Check out some animal pictures that I found this week. Amazing design. Hand-carved. Creatures that are not the product of time plus matter plus chance, but bear a designer's uh, wonderful mark. And here's another one. When you see these, you should be like, wow, there's a God. I have to go in and get contacts to see a book two feet from my face, and that bird there can spot a little rodent miles away. God did that. And, and when you look at this, you're like, now that's just showing off. I mean, that's just really... Please, don't, don't tell me that a bunch of Lego parts in a box being shaken randomly over time developed that. That bears the mark of, a design, of an artistic, wonderful designer. And, and creation shouts to you that there is a God. There is a God. And the Bible says, in his pride the wicked does not seek him. In all of his thoughts there is no room for God. If you've crowded God out, it's not because of a lack of evidence. This is called general re- revelation. It's not specific. When you watch a sunset over a mountain valley, it's, it, it tells you there's a God. It can't save you. That knowledge of God can't save you, but it can show you you should seek Him. That's general revelation. You were alerted to the reality of God, and you were prompted to seek Him. So creation revealed to you that God is real. Next, your conscience alerted you to right and wrong. You can jot that down. Your conscience alerted you to right and wrong. It says here in verse 15, the works of the law are written on their heart. Their conscience also bears witness conflicting thoughts, accusing them, excusing them. There's a conscience that's active in you. Your conscience alerted you to right and wrong. Now, the conscience is also a limited, imperfect tool that tries to show you when something you've done is shameful. So uh, somebody once said that uh, pain, pain is to the body what shame is to the soul. Shame is supposed to alert your soul that something you're doing is wrong. And that's your conscience. It's like a smoke detector. You know, beep, 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 beep. What you're doing is wrong. Beep, beep. You know, and, um, but, but you can go up and turn the smoke detector off, right? And you can kind of tamper with your conscience. You can warp it. You can change it. You can, you can argue with it, which is about as effective as arguing with your smoke detector. You know, I didn't burn dinner that badly. Just be quiet up there. It doesn't care, you know. And your conscience is there to tell you that what you've done is wrong. Here's a picture of a famous conscience, a bug, Jiminy Cricket. Pinocchio wants to be a real boy. So whoever she is, I forget her name, but she shows up and she's like, well, you need a conscience. And there's Jiminy Cricket who wants, you know, do I get a badge? He wants to become the conscience. They even sang a whole song about it, right? Always let your conscience be your guide. Your conscience alerted you to right and wrong. Conscience tells us that we have sinned and denying that truth deepens the problem. 
But your conscience can't save you because you can never get all the bad out of your life and you can never outweigh the bad with the good that you've done. But your conscience, if you were raised outside of the church, did tell you that there's right and wrong and you've done wrong. Creation revealed God is real. Your conscience alerted you to right and wrong. And then jot this down. And therefore, all of your sins will be exposed and judged by God. It says here, verse 16, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The point there is judgment is coming. And it says those who have sinned without the law will also perish. So, so if you were raised outside the church, you're, well, nobody ever told me, I didn't learn this, you'll, your sin will be judged and you will perish. That's not an excuse. And if you've been putting off getting to know the truth about God or getting to church and finding out who he is, if you're like, ah, it's just not my thing. Hey, judgment is coming on you. That's not an excuse. God will not allow you to say, I never knew. Ignorance is not neutral. Okay? When God is truth, ignorance is not neutral. We don't know because we don't care to know. And so you have to be informed. The bottom line is this. We are wrong with God from birth. And we can't escape judgment without His mercy and His grace. That's the basic truth. That's the ABCs of the Bible. And it says that we all know this. Because it says here in verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Meaning there's some awareness in your heart that, that there is a God, there's a judgment coming and you probably are not going to have a good day there. It's written on your heart. There's an internal voice telling you that you have to get right with God. You have to get right with God. And it mentions the secrets of men here. And that should really frighten you and me because there are secrets. You have them. Things that you haven't told anyone. You have maybe even forgotten about them for a time. And then sometimes they come back into your mind and you're like, oh boy. Um, those things are coming out. Okay, God has not forgotten them. The secrets what will come out on Judgment Day. And you'll be judged by the things that you wish no one would ever know. The full truth of your sin would shock your own mother if she knew it. But she doesn't. She doesn't partially because you've hidden it, partially because she can't. But God knows it all. And we'll be judged by God's law. This book is God's law. The Old and the New Testament is God's recorded word. This is going to be the standard of judgment. Our deeds will not be measured by our intentions. It will be measured by God's law. Number one, were you raised outside the church not knowing God? Creation revealed God is real. Your conscience alerted you to right and wrong. And all of your sins will be exposed and judged by God. Number two, Paul begins to talk to another group. Were you raised in the church knowing God's word? You can write that down. Were you raised in the church knowing God's word? Reading on in verse 17, he says, But you, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What's he talking about now? Well, he's talking to those people like him, Jewish people, 
who were raised in the synagogue, and they heard about Adam and Eve. They heard about Noah and his floating zoo. They heard about Moses confronting Pharaoh. They knew all that, and therefore they knew better. The problem is they took everything they learned about God's law, all of his standards, all of his judgments, and they're like, ha, ha, ho, those Gentiles don't know what's coming to them. Boy, are they in trouble. Wrong response. Wrong response. So let me talk to those of you who grew up in the church. Raise your hand if you grew up in the church. Like you went to church every week, a lot of weeks, Sunday morning. How many of you went to church like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer meeting? I mean, multiple times every week, right? It was part of your life. The Bible is now talking to you. Those of you who were raised in the church knowing God's word. Hear the warning of scripture here that all of that truth that was given to you can actually be a stumbling stone to you. If all of those laws, all those rules, if all of those verses that you got have really just served to lead you to a position where you're looking down on everyone else, you don't understand what God's law was all about. If you feel like because you have that upbringing and because you know the Bible that, that you're just like better than those people out there or smarter than them or, or you, you're missing the point. The point of the law is not to elevate you to some special status in God's sight. Is it because you know it, you've been promoted? That's not the point. There's a Valley of Vision prayer where it talked about the rule of the law. And here's what it said. Through the law may we die to the law. Then look with wonder, submission, and delight to the provision thou hast made for the glory of thy name and the salvation of sinners. What's the reason for God raising you in the church, alerting you to his word? What's the reason? So that you would see what a wretched sinner I am. Wow, given all of that, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. Each verse you memorized was like, oh boy, oh boy, I did that one. I, and, if, and if all of this Bible knowledge and Bible experience has basically turned you into this water tower of pride, look at, look at me, you missed the point. You missed the point. All right, when you get in, up there on Judgment Day, if you, like, bring out your Awana sash, and you're like, see? See? God, look at all what I've done for you. You missed the point. You missed the point. Jot this down. Knowing about God doesn't save you. Knowing about God doesn't save you. Now, there is a blessing, and it is important to know about God. But the Bible says that you, therefore, have sinned under the law. So summary of your childhood. You have sinned. Maybe you're shocked to know that. Talk to your mom and she will give you examples. But you have sinned. If she doesn't have them, talk to your sibling. They will have them. You have sinned under the law, meaning you knew better. You sinned knowingly. You knew the Bible and you still did it. Knowing about God doesn't save you. It just shows you where, where you did wrong. When it says the law here in the New Testament, they had the Mosaic Law. That was the first five books. Then they had the Psalms and the Proverbs, and then they had the Prophets. So that was the testimony they had at the time. The apostles knew they were writing New Bible. They talked about it. They put their own writings on par with the Old Testament. They called them scriptures, and they claimed to speak for God. So the New Testament, the letters they got, also had heaven's authority. But that's what it means when it says God's law. There's a lot of work in other places in the New Testament, though, that talk about the role of God's law to those who knew it. And here's one of the reasonings that they use. Uh, Abraham, right? Abraham, 
few thousand BC, didn't have the law, didn't know about Moses. And he went out one night and God made him a promise, right? Though you're about 100 years old, you're going to have a child, and this child is where Israel's going to come from. And the Bible says Abraham looked up and God said, look, see all the stars? You're going to have ancestors that are more numerous than that. And it says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So before the law ever came around, Old Testament and New, we are made righteous by faith believing what we hear. The law came around to show us our sin, not to give another way to save people. It's never been by works, Old or New Testament. It's always been believing what you hear and getting saved. This is important for those of you who were raised in the church. All right? It's not like because something comes up and you're like, I know that. I know that. And and another issue comes up, you're like, oh, I know that. I know that. That doesn't save you. All right, Judgment Day is not going to be like Bible Jeopardy. You're not going to be standing up there and be like, uh, uh, I'll, I'll take atonement for 300. I know that. I know that. All right, it's not the facts. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him personally? And an even more important question, does he know you? Because Jesus can know your grandma and not know you. Jesus can know your mama and not know you. Jesus can know your kids and not know you not know you. doesn't matter the facts. There are a lot of people in Hollywood, a lot of people who are creative, a lot of people in politics who were raised in the church and have walked away. All right. At Wheaton College, when they do the uh, opening day, they talk about how, you know, great people came to the college. Here these Christians came here and changed the world. And they're like, and, and Wes Craven also came here, directed Nightmare on Elm Street. And so, you know what? You got to be careful because you can go either way. Okay. You can know, and you can turn and walk away. So if you were raised in the church knowing God's word, knowing God doesn't save you. We will be judged by what we know. So those who were raised in the church will be judged because you knew. But those outside the church, we we knew enough to condemn us. No one gets out of judgment. So knowing about God doesn't save you. Jot this down. Hypocrisy and legalism show lack of conversion. So the Apostle Paul is now calling out those people who are so condescending. Call yourself a Jew. Boast in God. Approve what is excellent. You're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, teacher. I mean, in the church today, Christian legalists, Christians who look down on people, Christians who are angry all the time, do a lot of damage to the church. Right? And legalism is a false gospel. If you think that you're following the rules to heaven... And that's what's going to get you in. You're following a false gospel. It really does a lot of damage, though, when Christians are so angry and judgmental and cynical and arrogant. Basically, you are sinning in the name of law. Here's the truth, and I'm going to beat people up with it. Beat them up with it. No love. No love. Just law. And if you think that the law is going to get you into heaven, you've got to read your Bible. Sadly, others have warped the truth, watered down the truth that they were given in their upbringing. And this is just as bad. They start changing the standards and saying, well, everyone's going to go to heaven. And why, would, why would God do that? And if they were raised in another faith, God will understand. They start changing, changing, changing what they knew growing up. Well, who am I to judge? I'm not going to tell you that that's right or wrong. I, I mean, it's my opinion. Changing, changing, changing what they were given when they were growing up. Watering it down. This is not the legalist, this is the liberal. This is the spiritual liberal who starts cutting and pasting in the Bible and changing it to make it more uh, 
compatible with what they learn in the world. And so this is sinning in the name of love. You can sin in the name of love, you know. And you can tell people they're okay with God even though they haven't repented. But the Bible says love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. Meaning, if you're high-fiving a person's sin and not telling them what God thinks about that, even though you were raised differently than that, you're sinning in the name of love. And keeping the truth from someone who we say we love is really selfish. You're not doing them any favors. You're really doing yourself a favor. You're avoiding the painful conversations. And we have to be careful. The church hurts its reputation when we sin either way. But be careful of not becoming spiritually proud. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, talks about spiritual pride. <clears throat> and in this book, here's what it says. It calls spiritual pride the strongest and most beautiful of vices. The strongest and most beautiful of vices, spiritual pride. I'm of this, I'm of that, I was raised there. You're proud. So hypocrisy and legalism show lack of conversion. Knowing about God doesn't save you. Jot this down. Church rituals don't save you. Church rituals don't save you. He goes on, he talks about having the law, and then he talks about boasting in the law, and then he goes on in verse 25 to say, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. What does this mean? And if you were not raised in the church, you're like, this is getting weird. Why are we talking about circumcision here? So in the Old Testament, God said one way that he would mark his people is through the act of circumcision. That was a way where they would set aside their children to the Lord. Some nations, other nations did that too, some didn't, but it was a way for them to show early on in a child's life that they were, they were dedicating their child to the Lord. Okay? Uh, and so it became symbolic of being part of the covenant community. It became symbolic of several things. It also became symbolic of, of not just a bodily operation being done, but, but leading to a heart operation that God wanted to do. So great, as a child you started with the body and you marked them for me. But guess what? I want to do surgery on the inside. I want their heart to be altered. And that's ultimately what circumcision was supposed to point to. Being part of the transformed family of faith. Uh, and, and therefore that's why we're talking about it. So the Jews were circumcised and they would boast in that. One of the, one of the reasons that they would boast in it is because other cultures around them didn't do it. And they're like, oh, those heathen, they don't even know about that. For the circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. If you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Meaning, the physical act did you no spiritual good. None. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Meaning, he, if, it's a hypothetical, if he followed the law but didn't have the bodily surgery, God will still accept him. Because the whole bodily surgery is supposed to point to keeping the law. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Now that is a staggering thought. That is a, the thought of a Gentile condemning a Jew was like, what? For no one is a Jew who is merely one, here's the big idea, outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So, did you write that down? Church rituals don't save you. Church rituals don't save you. If you were baptized as a baby, that didn't save you. 
All right, if you stood up at confirmation, that didn't save you. Church rituals don't save you. They can't save you. And let me just talk to people who were raised in the church, but you are still stalling. Maybe, maybe you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. You were raised in the church, and you are still stalling to embrace what your parents handed you. Listen to me right now loud and clear. What are you doing? What are you doing? This was handed to you decades ago. This was handed to you years ago. And you're still stalling. You're, you're still stalling. Why? Why would you not reach out and embrace? Well, my parents weren't perfect. They, forget about them. They gave you something that's worth more than all the lottery has ever dished out. And let me just say this. Maybe all you need to hear from me today is you were raised better than that. You were raised better than that. There are a lot of people out there who have never prayed in their households. Okay? Never. You were raised better than that. And I don't know what your hang-up is, but it's time for you to get over it right now. The Bible is calling you out. You were raised better than that. You know the truth. Stop sinning under the law. Sometimes telemarketers call me. And, and I talked to them. And there was this telemarketer who called me. I think I even remember her name. I think her name was Erica. I was like, Erica, are you having a good day? She's like, yes, sir. She thinks she's going to give her pitch, right? And I was like, Erica, I'll listen to you if you listen to me for just a second. I'm a pastor, and I preach the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that you're going to heaven? Now, they can't say anything mean because it's being recorded, right? <laughs> Do you want to grow in sharing your faith? Practice on telemarketers. They'll hear it, and whoever's listening to the tape afterward will hear it. And if they're mean to you, they get in trouble. It's win-win, right? And so I was like, Erica, are you a Christian? And she got real quiet, and she's like, my dad's a pastor. She's like, really? That's so amazing. Do you go to church? And she's like, no. I said, Erica. I don't even know what this call is about. I don't think she knew what it was about because we both lost our place, right? And I'm like, Erica. Your dad is a pastor. You need to get back to church this Sunday. And she's like, I know, I know. <laughs> I said, all right. I'm glad we had this conversation. You make your daddy happy and you get back to church this Sunday. She's like, okay, thank you. And then I think she's like, wait a minute. I was... <laughs> Telemarketer evangelism. I should write a book. <laughs> hey, maybe that's you. It's time. Number one, were you raised outside the church not knowing God? Creation revealed it's true. Conscience revealed it's true. Your sins will be exposed. Number two, were you raised in the church knowing God's word? Knowing about God doesn't save you. Hypocrisy and legalism show lack of conversion. Church rituals won't save you. Number three, here's the big question. Has God transformed your heart? This is the question. Has God transformed your heart? It says here, no one, verse 28, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Let me just put the word Christian in here because the same principle applies. No one is a Christian who is merely one outwardly. If you were taken on the ride, the Christian ride, and you were exposed to all this, that didn't make you a Christian. If all of your Christianity is external, you're not a Christian. Nor is Christianity outward and physical, but a Christian is one inwardly, right? And Christianity is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise, therefore, is not for man, but for God. 
Has God transformed your heart? Paul, a former Pharisee here, he probably knew the first five books of the Bible by memory. Okay. Not saved. Oh, he knew it. Not saved. Oh, he taught it. Not saved. And he finally got saved when he met the Lord Jesus Christ. God judges all sin, it says here, by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. According to the gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Jesus is the judge. What kind of judge is God? He put the most loving man who ever lived in charge of the judgment. Whoever's the nicest, most kind, and tender-hearted person you ever know, Jesus has got that person beat. The most loving person who's ever lived. Think of all the good Jesus did when he was in the world. He's the judge. He's the one looking down on you on the big day. But because he is divine, he will not allow even one sin into heaven because that would ruin it for the people he loves. And so he will also be just, perfect in justice. No sin will get into the Savior's holy kingdom. And therefore, jot this down, God's Son must save you. God's Son must save you. This passage really aims at those who are living with a false security. And let me just challenge you on that. Are you living with a false security? Do you think you're going to heaven? If you were not raised in the church, maybe you think you're going to heaven because you were a good person or you're kind to animals or you haven't really done any of the big sins or that isn't going to save you. Are you do you know God's Son must save you? Maybe you were raised in the church and you haven't repented and you know better and it's time for you to turn to the Lord and make Jesus your God and your King and your Christ. God's Son must save you. Many are living with false assurance. You think you're going to heaven. Listen, there are people in hell right now, and they thought they were going to heaven. Most people think they're going to heaven. And since the Garden of Eden, God has been calling out to ashamed humans who hide their sins, saying, where are you? Where are you? Where? And God's calling out to you, where are you? Where are you? Calling you back calling you back as you hide in the bushes. When God looks into your heart, the reason why he sent a Savior is because he knows the truth about you. When God looks into your heart, he doesn't see a handful of sin. He sees a staggering array of sin. All of it. The whole phone book of it. And he knows what you need. Do you agree with God about your true spiritual condition that you need a Savior? Here's a video of a California wildfire. Boy, isn't it getting out of control over there? Can you imagine driving around there? And the rescue workers are battling that. What if that was your street? So many communities have been destroyed. Devastated. So what does a person do when they see this? They, they get in their attire, they get their tools, and they go and help people, right? They send in a rescue team. Here's some pictures of the rescue efforts. Uh, there's the storm getting gloomy and communities that are in danger. I love that picture. A guy who's just looking over it, about to go and, and help. Here's another picture of even from air. They need to start putting this thing out. And here's another picture of the entire fleet of vehicles going in. But I like this last picture. This is just the determination of someone to make a difference. And the Bible basically says, this is what you need. Okay. This is what you need. You need someone to come and get you. Someone to come and save you. Someone to come and rescue you. That's how bad your condition is. And this is not just saving you from the fires of a forest. This is saving you from the fires of forever. God's love is that he sent a rescue. 
God's Son must save you. And jot this down, God's Spirit must give you new life. God's Spirit must give you new life. The truth is, according to these verses, it says that a Jew is one inwardly, matter of the heart, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. God's Spirit must give you new life. You can't do that for you. Grandma can't do that for you. The only way the law can be fulfilled in you is through God's Spirit and God's Son. You need heart surgery. You need something done to your heart that you can't do. The Spirit does the heart surgery. The law doesn't. The Bible doesn't do this surgery. Oh, it cuts, it penetrates, it convicts, but the Spirit has to bring the transformation. Therefore, the Bible's role is like an x-ray, the MRI, the CAT scan, to show you your need, to show you what's in your heart. There was a member of our church who, she was fleeing, she was rushing to the airport after a long day at work. She got to the airport, threw her bag on the conveyor belt to get scanned, and then she got pulled aside for security, and the security guard said, ma'am, is there anything in your backpack that could potentially harm someone? And she's like, no. And then he showed her the scan. Here's the scan. He got that picture up there. Now look at that scan and see if you can find anything that could be harmful to other people. You see it? Do you see it? What do you see? A steak knife. She had brought it to work for her lunch and forgot it was in her backpack. Ran to the airport and the security guard is like, are you sure there's nothing in this bag? She's like, oh no. And then he reached in and pulled out the steak knife. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You can throw it away. I had it for lunch. Listen, when God looks into your heart, he sees things that can harm you. You might not even know they're there. You need heart surgery. You need Jesus to change your heart. Maybe you're worried about what other people will think of you if you become a Christian. Listen, if you miss heaven, I don't think it would cheer your soul after your judgment is done to see your bestie going like this as you walk by. I believe in you. When you're not going to heaven. So I don't know who it is that you're maybe thinking about. If I become a Christian, this person... But... What does God think about you? And it says here, His praise is not from man, but from God. God praises the person. God accepts the person. God saves and receives the person who receives His Son as Savior and His Spirit as new life. If your confidence, why would you get into heaven? Why would you get into heaven? If you would say, because God's Son has saved me and God's Spirit has given me a new heart, you're in. If you say anything else, well, I didn't do anything real bad. Well, I'm a good person. Well, I was raised to this or that. You're not getting in. You have false confidence. You're guilty in the eyes of God. Let me just reiterate this. God has offered you something worth more than all the lotteries combined. He will pay for all of your sin. He will provide for eternity forever. God's offer of grace should stagger you. Nothing should stop you from reaching out right now and receiving his free gift of eternal life. It's very simple. Repent of your sins, believe in his son, get saved. And doesn't this sound incredible? You with God in paradise forever. That's his offer. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are some right now who walked into this room with a false sense of confidence. They thought they were right with you. They thought they were good with you. They thought that they would go to heaven, but now they're not so sure because they don't know Jesus personally. Father, I pray for those people who are ready, ready to reach out and to receive the free gift of eternal life, the riches of grace. I pray, O oh Lord, that they would 
right now in their own hearts say, Father, I repent of my sin. Father, I repent of my sin. Lord, those who were raised outside the church, maybe they're saying it for the first time. Father, I repent of my sin. And Lord, maybe those who were raised inside the church who have been stalling for so long, so long, are finally ready to say, Father, forgive me for my sin. Maybe right now they're ready to say, Jesus, be my Savior. Spirit, give me life. Pray that. Pray that to him in your heart. He listens. He hears. He wants to rescue you. He wants to change you. He wants you to be with him in heaven forever. He's appointed the Messiah as your judge to welcome you into the family, to adopt you as his child. That's the love of God. God is willing that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Ask him. Ask him to be saved. Father, thank you for the reassurance we have that If we believe in you, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. We will be with you in paradise forever. Jesus, we give you all the glory and praise. And it's in your name that we